Hello and welcome to Tap of the Iceberg, you find us. Say us, it's mainly me, isn't it? It's a, kind of a one-person family project. And I know what you're thinking, why are you so excited? Well, I'll tell you why I'm excited, because I am just buzzing about this tune. I can't get enough of it. It's bothering me it's not longer, because then I have to keep listening to it on a loop. But I'm in that golden phase, you know, the honeymoon period where I haven't got sick of it yet. Oh, I love it. Anyway. Yes, it's Tap of the Iceberg. Uh, and it's hosted by me, Kevon McGlinchey. Kevon. And if you get uh, embarrassed or forget, just ask again and I'll uh, remind you what my name is. Kevon. I'll spell it phonetically, it's no problem. So, yes, I have been getting a lot of feedback. Uh, not from other people. But I've been thinking a lot in my own head, and I think what people want the most is a lot more cat chat and a lot more dumbbell chat, and I'm willing to bring that to you. So in order for the cat to go outside and have a little mooch around the garden, I decided I would go and uh, lift my new dumbbells outside in said garden, but I don't know about you, but in the southwest of England, it's been very, very rainy, so I often had to rest the dumbbells on the grass on the wet grass and they got covered in like soil and stuff and mud so that's fine because I'd rather use them outside so that I don't like sweat and wreck the house by being all gross in the living room and the cat did his thing he had his little look around he chewed some grass and he went inside then I was in the house of my own and I had these muddy dumbbells it's not a euphemism it's just what was happening I had these muddy dumbbells and I thought, I really need to clean them because they're so new. So I brought them into the living room and I got some um, wipes. Sorry about this environmentalists. But I got some, like, you know, wet wipes. Probably not a good use for these, actually, during these coronavirus times. Just, I'm literally just realizing that live. Anyway, so I was cleaning them off. And then, you know, you get that moment where you don't know whether or not the cleaning product and the specific kind of dirt that you've got are going to be a good match. Well... It was a perfect match. The, the The wipes were just taken off the mud. Everything was fine. So I was super satisfied. So satisfied, in fact, that I started to procrastinate and set the second dumbbell down to be done later so I could just watch TV. Anywho, what happens next is my wife comes home from work um, and what we've got here is one dumbbell taken apart, sitting wet on the carpet, and another filthy, muddy dumbbell also sitting on the carpet in a room which, as I've already said, I was not supposed to be exercising in. So she then says, what the hell? You told me you were going to exercise outside. I said, I did. Look at the muddy dumbbell. And she went, right, okay, so what you've done here is you've brought the very thing that I don't want you using in the living room in, but you've made sure to go outside and roll it around in the grass first. Now, it's not like me. I'm sure you can already understand. It's not like me to be speechless, but yeah, that's what I've done. It was a stupid thing to do, and that's that's life for me. You know what I mean? That's you're just constantly doing these baffling things. That even if like if you heard someone else had done them, you'd go, "What an idiot! Why did he do that?" Anyway, I don't want to just put all of the quality material at the very very beginning of the podcast because I feel like it'll give you a false sense of security in terms of how good it's actually going to be. So I should probably tell you a little bit about what I'd like to talk about today. So remember the structure that we're going with is Driscoll's reflection 
template, which is the what happened, so what, now what, just as a shorthand. Um, so we're going to talk about a couple of things using that format. And I thought, because I'm kind of half doing this so that people might listen to it and get some benefit from it, and also half doing it as a reflection myself to understand what's going on for me better, I'd actually start splitting the podcast in two, three if you count the, the cat dumbbell updates. So the first part would be around something to do with getting on the course or being a tech. And then the second part of the podcast could actually be a bit more personal for me in terms of either something I've experienced more recently that's worth me reflecting on or something that I'm just interested in uh, that I want to talk about a little bit. And I might try and squeeze some personal experience into that which is another way I, I find to do reflection sometimes. If I'm finding reflections really hard to do, I'll sort of pick something that's been on my mind that I'm interested in talking about, like, I don't like AI or something, and then I'll sort of slip in some personal experiences or how outcomes of my ruminations actually impact on my own practice or something like that, you know what I mean? So um, that's a little tip for you. I, I think I've got away with that for the most part in terms of being sort of interests led rather than events led and it keeps things interesting doesn't it because just talking about work all the time i don't know if you've met people like that but it doesn't it's not my favorite conversation to have so yeah let's take a little break and when we come back i want to talk about a specific issue which is the personal statement and i've got some general things that probably won't be all that helpful because you're like no i need specific advice i need specific advice tell me exactly what to do because you're unsure and that's okay but I hope to straddle that kind of line between being too helpful to the point where I'm doing it and being so general and vague that you may as well just do something else with your time. And what I wanted to talk about was the STAR technique, which a colleague uh, mentioned to me not too long ago. And it, it was in the context of like interviews. But I thought to myself, why couldn't you just apply that in writing to your personal statement which I think is something that uh, I would probably do now I'll be honest I didn't do it but I think I would going forward so we're going to talk a little bit about what that looks like and how that might be applied and then in the second part of it I wanted to talk a little bit about the psychodynamic idea of projection which if you'd met me three years ago you'd be very surprised to hear that's what I want to talk about but times change and people change okay this is a safe space where I can learn and grow and you can listen and get more and more frustrated and you've pretty much got no outlet. So from my point of view, that's ideal. Anyway, so yeah, let's take a break and after that, we'll talk a bit about the STAR technique. Promises were made that I was going to talk about the star technique. So let's do that. Now, the idea here is that this is like an effective way to tell a story, to outline a situation in a way that is quite compelling for us as people. I think one of the things that happens in both interviews and personal statements is that you either want to do justice to one specific story, so you get so wrapped up in it that, like, you know, we're hearing about character backstories and all sorts of weird stuff. It's like the back of one of George R. R. Martin's books. We, we really don't want to do that. But on the other hand, I think as humans, 
were not all that drawn in by like lists or just an outline of a thing that happened. And I think what the star technique does best is it allows us to thread the needle there between telling a story that's compelling and interesting uh, and doing that story some justice while also getting down to the nitty gritty and not wasting time. So I guess it's an efficient way to get the reader's attention or the listener's attention, uh, but also it's an effective way to get the point across and then wrap it up in a neat little bow so everyone knows that we're finished. And uh, this is so key in an interview, but you've actually answered the question. You know what I mean? Um, because I think it's really easy to just get caught up and uh, and go off on a tangent. So I'll outline the star technique first. Now the example I'm looking at comes from rightattitudes.com and the way they have it is they have like a prepare phase and then they have star which is an acronym for situation, task, action and results. So I quite like that. So there's prep and then there's star and so the prepare phase is listen to a question, then think of an event, and then plan and organize within about five to eight seconds, which is really good advice for an interview where you wanna show that you're actively listening, you wanna nod at the parts that you're you know, supposed to agree with and then shake your head at the bits that you're not really sure about or where you heard bad news. And then when there's a little bit of the question where you're supposed to express sympathy, you go, ah, or I'm sorry to hear that or whatever, okay? Then you think of an event that applies in your life, and then you have to, in an interview, boom, you gotta plan, organize in five to eight seconds, <laughs> any longer than that, and I guess they'll think you've just zoned out. But you do wanna give yourself enough time to both actually plan and organize, and also be seen to plan and organize, which, you know, I don't wanna be cynical, but it doesn't hurt. Now, we're talking about personal statements though, aren't we? So what you've actually got here is from the time that you've heard about it to the time you bother actually doing something about it to the deadline. So you've got this lovely big window of time. Now, chances are, even though you want this badly, you might start putting it off. You might procrastinate a little bit, which is an interest of mine. But let's park that. Excuse me, I couldn't help it. And let's think about, right, why don't we, instead of listening to the question, why don't we, why don't we read the question or read the invitation to a personal statement. And the first thing you wanna do is get as much information about what they want as you can. Essentially, you wanna think about any uh, description of the qualities, any advice you can find that they give to you about the personal statement and their expectations. It's like cheat notes, okay? You would be crazy to just throw those away. That's what they wanna hear. So tailor your response to what they want to hear. And we talked about this last time, but what you also might wanna do is one, if they've described what they want, respond to that directly, and that's 100% of what they want. But you can make some educated guesses about what they might want to talk about or hear, what they might be interested in. And the way you do that is finding out who the faculty within the um, psychological service or the uh, university uh, department that you're working toward and find out what their interests are. What have they been interested in historically? What are they interested in now? Are they involved in any kind of like, I mean, these people, like st staff, academics are so 
curious. That's the word I would apply to them as a rule. They're dead curious about the world and about issues and they want to have a conversation and they want to be gently challenged about some of those things. So find out what they care about and then talk to them about it. You'd be, like, why wouldn't you do that? And you'll probably find there's some overlap because you are likely to be quite curious too um, and certainly very passionate. And you want that, oh, you want that to come across. You want to, don't, f this, is, this is a terrible piece of advice, don't freeze up. But if you can find a little bit of comfort inside yourself and show a little bit of who you are, it's going to be absolutely key. So I think the same applies to the personal statement, except you've got more time to prepare. So what do they want? And what do you want to say? And then I think that's the next thing. So if it were me, if I could do it again, I think I'd write a bullet point of things I want to say. I'd actually probably put that before I look at any description, any member of staff, anything at all. Because believe it or not, I want to say a lot. I've got a lot to say. I, 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 I live in the world. I've experienced a lot of things. And I care about a lot of things. A lot of wrongs I want to see righted um, you know you must be so engaged just with your own life and experience and ideally with psychology as well so maybe just what do you want to talk about what if just, you've got this moment you've got this blank space to say here's what I care about bullet points what do you care about what would you tell someone to put the best to put your best self forward you know and then I think you're going to want to go to the job description or the application, which will have something equivalent. And you're going to say, right, okay, if there was a Venn diagram, where does the stuff I want to say and the stuff they want to hear, what's the best crossover, like as a percentage, where, where do they match up best? You put those things you want to say to the top of the list, don't you? And then the next thing you want to do is... You want to look at what the individuals who might be reading it want to hear. Because even if one particular professor that you are really into and have actually kind of got on board with and read some of their work, even if they're not reading your personal statement, like they're all part of a team. And the very fact that you've made the effort is only going to stand you in good stead. So I think that's the next thing to do. So what we want to do now is we want to find... I think if we if we have a long list of the things that you care about and you want to say and we have a half decent list of the things they want to hear or that they're interested in and we can find as much overlap as possible well now you're answering the question directly but you're also being genuine because you made the list of what you care about so you, you can't not be genuine you can't not be yourself in that regard because that already came up I hope I'm making sense here so I think Lots of prep, lots of bullet points before you write is going to make you feel safer and it's going to keep you on track. Because what we want is like a roadmap for our personal statement and then we start writing good quality sentences, which I think I want to talk about in a separate podcast episode, if that's okay. I want to talk about the nature of a quality sentence because believe it or not, there's psychology around that too. Anyway, so that's your prep phase. And I hope I've made that entirely clear, especially around the, the personal statement. 
So the next thing that we want to do is we want to look at the star itself. So what does star stand for? Well, it's S is situation, T is task, A is action, and R is results. So let's take them in turn. Let's talk about the situation. You want to provide context and background. So the example they have here, this is like a customer service version. Our customers complained. Okay, fair enough. But essentially, in a sentence or two, I think you want to make it entirely clear what situation it was that you're stepping into. And if I'm honest, like we talked about last time, I think you want to have psychology in the back of your mind. You want to have, and I use psychology to help. So pick a situation where the psychological model or idea or theory that you're really keen on helped you in that situation. And you can see now why it's so important for you to be thinking about this almost before you even apply, because you want to have good, authentic examples. Now, I, I guess if you were feeling really brave, you could talk about how it might apply and how you could do things better in the future if you haven't used psychology. And if you're feeling really stupid, you could just lie. The, the problem with that is if you try and make up a fake situation, I think that you're going to get caught out because, you know, <laughs> you're not going to have the details to back up the example you come up with. Um, and maybe it says more about me <laughs> that I'm worried about making that kind of mistake where you're kind of misleading someone. Um, I'm sure you would never, ever, ever do that. You know what I mean? But uh, for those people who would, who you know aren't part of this audience, no one is, so don't worry about it. Um, yeah, d don't do that. One, it's immoral. And two, you're going to get caught and look an absolute mug. So don't do it. So come up with a situation and background and maybe think about what psychology is going to be used. So I was acting as I was brought in as a supply teacher. Do you know what? I'll give, I'll give an example that I would probably use. So I was a supply teacher. I was kind of helicoptered in, not literally, to this school where the science results were really bad. And we made a bit of a deal whereby I could work with like full classes some of the time and then smaller groups. And my goal uh, was basically to increase the biology and chemistry results for a group of sixth form students. Um, so I got to go in there and I got a job to do. So I have already got a goal and I don't know what the problem is. So I think my first thing that I would do in any situation is scope out the problem and that's what I did in this particular situation I was like what's the problem well the immediate problem appeared to be that the students didn't know enough science right well obviously because they weren't getting the correct answers in the exams and they weren't answering the questions using the right techniques but then why is that and it turned out that in a lot of cases it was because they massively lacked confidence and they thought that they didn't like the subject now <laughs> maybe it's my bias because I love science but I didn't take that at face value I was like you can, any, anyone can like anything it's just a matter of it being made interesting and you're also so down on your like academic self-concept that you're, you're not willing to take risks or try so every time you approach that textbook like you know you're already having nightmares about the front cover of the textbook never mind opening it and reading it we need to make you more confident and make you have some fun. And the science will come from that. 
So again, you can see even through the logical progression that we're going from there's the situation that I was placed in and that I took on board. I was you know, actively involved in wanting to be part of that situation. And then we're moving on to the task. And in a sense, my task was to improve their grades. But you will find that if you're the kind of person who really wants to do this job, you know, wants to be trained to be an educational psychologist, the likelihood is that you will either break the task you've been given down into smaller parts, which you can then have more autonomy over, or you will see the bigger picture and come up with all the different tasks that are going to get you there. Essentially, the task you've been set is often too big or too effete for you to actually just do it. You need to break it down into realistic goals. Uh, you might set smart targets or something along those lines. Um, or essentially, uh, there's no shame in saying that you had a feel for what was right. It, at, at my university, they hold that kind of thing in quite high regard. Someone with experience and know-how going with their gut but with a willingness to, have, you know, second-guess themselves and respond to what happens next. But it's okay to, especially when you're working fast, to go with what you think, but just keep your eyes and ears open for, for something else. So in the example I'm giving, my task was to uh, improve the kids' grades, but in reality, my task was actually to improve their confidence and their love of the subject. And once I've realized that those are the twin things that I need to get done, I break them down into even smaller things. And every day, those students need to be experiencing a little bit of success and a little bit of joy. The beauty of that is that experiencing success is joyful. Like emotionally, it's a positive thing. I don't know, maybe you've had a lot more experience of success than I have, but in my experience, success and feeling good and positivity are all wrapped up in one another, aren't they? I think. So that was the task. Now, just I want to highlight this because I've been rambling on and on. This is for your personal statement. So it's your situation and it's your task. So what situation were you in where there's a really positive outcome that you can celebrate, you know, coming down the track, okay? And what task were you given or what was the explicit, available, obvious task? And then I'd say a little bit of interpretation of how you're gonna get there because it's breaking that task down and almost the preparation phase for that task that's gonna to lead to actions. And that's quite, this is quite exciting, okay? Because you're not bragging, but you're demonstrating how you can be effective. So in your personal statement, you've now said, here's the situation that I put myself in because I care or that was uh, given to me because others trusted me or whatever, you know, a bit of motive that makes you look good. Then you're gonna hit the task and here's what, what I was, here are what the ex expectations of me were. And then here's what I did. I broke the task down. I decided, how are we gonna make this fun? I thought to myself, I can't be the first person in the history of the world that wants to make a difficult topic fun. So what I did was, to work efficiently, I found out what other people did. I discussed it with my colleagues, I looked it up online, I checked X website, I checked Y forum, I had a discussion with people, I looked at other subjects that they do find fun and thought, what do they do? What are they doing in drama class that means the kids can't wait to be there? 
that we are not doing in science class where you sit on your stool don't you dare talk to each other look at this boring stuff on the board or whatever okay what what can i learn from what they already care about that kind of thing so we bring in that um we bring in that interest and then in terms of successes where are they where are these students i am not going to try and get them to go from no knowledge or understanding or technique to a full A. What we need to do is we need to pick probably a small topic and we need to work from the bottom up. We need to build the foundation. Now I know this is very teachy, okay, but it's just remember I'm trying to give a situation for my own personal statement and that was the job that I did beforehand. So please do get creative, have some fun and apply this to your own experiences in your own life. But we need to break that down and then we need to show people and this does apply to the job you need to show people that they're capable of more than they assumed or presumed um, beforehand and you show it in a way that is hmm, objective you show it in a way that is irrefutable uh, so for example in educational psychology you, you might use an over teaching approach called precision teaching or precision instruction and essentially what happens is that you don't go you've made this progress because I say so because I feel better and you feel better you use numbers and graphs and you go look at the improvement you've made I'm so proud of you because we can both clearly see that that's what you've achieved and I think that that's what you would do in a teaching environment and I think in many cases demonstrating progress in a clear way would be a massive part of an educational psychologist's job as well i'd be happy to to go along with that because you're often coming into a situation that can feel hopeless and lethargic and down and everyone's being talked to a million times and so on and you want to show people the small wins and in this case with the personal statement and the star approach i'm going i've done this already i've done this i've seen a situation where other people have lost sight of the big picture they've given up on feeling self-confident they're blaming each other and i've gone in and i've said no look this is what improvement looks like and you have demonstrated improvement that's amazing which again you're always preempting the next stage aren't you because if you're thinking logically you can't help but do so so we've had our situation which you've arrived into for whatever reason but make it a positive one you've got your task there which is both the task that you were set or that you set yourself and then i think i would probably emphasize that that was broken down into smaller more achievable tasks and targets that leads you nicely into your actions so i thought to myself what small targets do i need to achieve here's the things i did to achieve them because they follow their sorry they flow logically from that and now big celebration so get your emoji ready with the hat and the that thing that you blow that goes you know the one what are they called i don't care so i do care please tell me if you're listening to this you know the ones they're like curled up into like a little spiral and then you blow it and it goes and then everyone goes oh it must be a party now because someone's done that no okay results time okay big celebration if you have given them an example that ends in shitty results 
what are you doing? <laughs> are you out of your mind? You, you almost, you're, you're obviously thinking of examples from your PowerPoint, or sorry, from your bullet points that I talked about before, <laughs> whereby there's a big positive result to celebrate and you want to really sell it, okay? So you want to show how the actions you took had incredible results, um, significant results, meaningful results, probably some kind of emotional term for what those results meant. What was the outcome? What was the impact? Why is that situation a better situation now than it was before you started? And I think, I think that's ideal. So yeah, I think the star technique, so I think the star technique with that big emphasis on the prepare phase is a really helpful way of looking at, yes, answering interview questions, because it really keeps you on the straight and narrow and makes sure that um, you're answering the question, which is so key, but also with the personal statement. Could you look at the word count, I can't remember what it is, and think, okay, I've written down the things I want to tell them about. They've told me the things I want to hear about. The overlap is three things. My word count is, I don't know, say it's just to make my life easier, it's 3,000 words. I got a little intro. I got a little conclusion, no problem. So that's going to be 300 words, 300 words. I've got 2,400 words to tell them three stories. Can I break those down into three 800 word answers, which themselves are broken down into four 200 word slices? And suddenly you're not staring at a blank page thinking, oh my God, this is intimidating and I want it so badly. And you know, your hands are shaking and then you just get upset and you start blaming somebody else in the house because you know, you feel like you've let yourself down. You go, no, 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 no. I won't do it. I will not you know, be a victim to that kind of f fear. And um, what would Donald Trump say? The great philosopher, Donald Trump would say, don't let it dominate you, okay? Um, <laughs> so we've got three stories to tell. We've got four sections to each and we've got 800 words for each. So we've now got a 200 word situation, 200 words task, 200 words action, 200 words result, start again there was another situation. And then you might want to find yourself showing three aspects of yourself, three massive strengths to yourself as a candidate that you can include there. And I don't know. Listen, I, I've had to write a lot over the last few years, but even back then, I think I would be able to manage 200 word chunks. I think if you get a little flow going, maybe write 350 words and then whittle down, whittle down to what really matters. Then I think you're, I think you're going to be absolutely grand. Um, but I do think breaking it down is going to be, is going to be awesome. So I think if I was doing a personal statement, just to summarize, I would find out what I want to talk about in terms of psychology and success and passion. Then I want to find out what they want to hear about. Then I'm going to make a list of each and see where the overlap is. And then I'm going to break down maybe three examples, maybe two, maybe four, I don't know, it really depends on your style. Break it down using the STAR technique, which is situation, task, action, result, and make that entirely clear, and I can't emphasize that enough, by God, make it clear, think how many of these other people have to read, be kind, 
Keep your audience in mind. This isn't for you. Get yourself out of the way. Get you out of the way and put down something that other people can get on board with and get excited about. And bam. I think I think that's the way I would approach a personal statement if I was going to do it tomorrow. But also keep in mind what I said last time about psychology and theory and when did you apply it and how long have you been applying it have you been a secret psychologist in your job before this the answer is yes by the way make that clear as well and i think um i think that's the advice i'd give someone preparing for the personal statement okay i'm going to take another little break and then i'm going to talk to you about projection and psychodynamics god help us all Freud help us all? Here we go. Now let's not forget Driscoll's um, template. So we want to have a what, a so what, and a now what. We want to describe what's going on or what's of interest. We want to talk about why that matters and then we want to decide what we're going to do next so what i wanted to talk about what the what is what the what (laughs) what the what is is projection it's a theory within psychodynamics the question i want to ask is what does thermodynamics which is the branch of physics that deals with the relationships between heat and other forms of energy have to do with donald trump calling someone sleepy joe or suggesting they're on drugs when they go into a debate Let's talk about thermodynamics first. So thermodynamics relates to how heat is exchanged and moved around and so on, uh, and how energy does the same. And that's, it's a branch of physics, which is very, very useful. So what that has to do with human interactions is quite interesting. So if we can imagine that as we interact with one another, there's a kind of an energy present. Now this is obviously a metaphor, And yet, I find it such a useful metaphor if someone that we dislike or that an awkward thing has happened in the past with comes into the room, we might say the temperature drops. Or as you and I get into an argument about whether or not psychoanalysis is a good idea, then the temperature might rise. And I think most people would intuit what we mean by that. And if that's the case, then boom. We're having a meaningful conversation whereby we can help. So we might want to cool things down or, you know, chill out in that kind of a way. If that's helpful and useful, then I want to be on, you know, I want to be involved. Uh, I'll probably talk about the nature of metaphor and human thought in another episode if I keep doing this. So please don't think I haven't done some more systematic thinking around that but just for this that's when thermodynamics kind of came home for me is when a colleague of mine showed me a video and talked me through it she actually actually needed to ask her at least twice um for help understanding this which is funny because i don't think it's actually technically difficult to understand i think i was putting up barriers and making it difficult myself anyway i think i get it now so i wanted to talk about psychological projection i think three reasons one because it's been in the news two because it was something that my tutors 
made me aware of during a quite difficult meeting once. And three, because I think it's come back up for me again recently. So what is psychological projection? Well, <laughs> I love this shorthand because it reminds me of um, like the devil's advocate and like Catholic theology and stuff. That was my upbringing. And the shorthand they use is the devil is the accuser. I should be clear. This is some random internet site. It's not peer reviewed or checked or any of that stuff. Okay. It just sums it up in a nice way that I think you'll find checks out. So don't worry about it. So here, um, this guy says psychological projection, also known as blame shifting, is a theory in psychology in which humans defend themselves against their own unpleasant impulses by denying their existence, so there's one part of it where it's not in you, while attributing them to others, but it is in other people. And you can't offer that the devil is the accuser definition without getting on to the current president of the United States as of the 27th of October 2020. So people who you accuse of being frauds, sorry, people who accuse us of being frauds are frauds. People who accuse us of being a scam are a scam. People who accuse us of lying are the lying ones. And I think um, I think it's in the same family as like gaslighting. I think it's there's a discernible difference, but it's in that same ballpark of like you know the wrongdoer projecting out attacks. But in this case, <laughs> it's literally like a mirror image. So you know, um, I don't know. You've been letting the cat out to chew grass. Because I've been letting the cat out to chew grass. You've been cleaning up the muddy dumbbells in the living room. Does sound bad, then. <laughs> because the other person has, or whatever. So, does um, the president engage in such a thing? Well, one example is from the 2016 um, primaries, when he accused Ted Cruz of, lying Ted, of being Lion Ted. That was his nickname for him. Um, and I love Donald Trump's nicknames as well. So you've got like your Crooked Hillary's, your Sleepy Joe's, and your Lion Ted's. This is a guy who's lied like 12,000 times, um, by according to fact checkers, is calling someone else a liar. And what's really interesting about that one is that Ted Cruz, in a later interview, said, oh, this is right out of a psychology textbook. Now, I don't often agree with Ted Cruz. I would say this might be the first time. But... He's right there. This is like a clear, crisp, obvious example. It's perfect of that kind of projection. And the same thing has been ongoing since. So uh, Donald Trump accuses Joe Biden of being in league with, of being soft on China. And then Donald Trump's secret Chinese bank account suddenly becomes the news. Um, oh gosh, I'm trying to think of more examples. Suddenly my mind's gone blank and there's just so many of them. Another good example might be the Russia connection. So there is such a clear issue there between Trump and Putin and collusion and so on. And yet, in the latest debate, in the last presidential debate of 2020, the main, well, one of the main ways that Trump attacked Biden was around his son's relationship with Ukraine, which is obviously part of the former Soviet bloc, and um, and where money came from. And even that stuff, like, about how the kids have made money illegitimately, I mean, you could play this game on and on about what that says about the way that President Trump views 
his own life, at least on some level, which is also interesting in terms of whether or not there's a subconscious that's kind of like telling on us, <laughs> sort of making it clear um, what we're really thinking. So yeah, it, 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 it's an extraordinary thing to view the current president of the United States just in action. And, you know, my wife gets upset with me about this because I spent too much time on it. But, like, I've never seen anything as psychologically fascinating happening in real time with the kind of access that we've got with, you know, 24-hour rolling news and stuff. I just I can't believe this guy. And, I, and I'm sort of fascinated by the, the knock-on. It's like it's a ripple in a pool, isn't it? And then every ripple is so fascinating. Why do certain parts of the media let this happen? And why don't people come down harder on him? And will the old rules of politics and a normal gaffe, like, will they come back now that maybe Trump's not doing as well as he might have done and so on and so forth? Anywho projection if i wasn't convinced before that it was a helpful shorthand then by god i am now which takes me to the next point which is we're still on what which is that um one of my tutors described me as projecting and the reason she did is because i had said that i don't fit or that i'm not meeting the expectations of the tutors and my peers and that maybe they don't like me and she said have you considered that this is projection and I didn't take it very well for several reasons one I didn't really fully understand what was being said to me which isn't great two if something's being said to me that I don't fully understand I like to think that I'll go and look and learn about it whereas in this occasion because I knew enough to know it was to do with psychodynamics. And at that point, I was keen on rejecting that. I didn't want to know more. And therefore, that just got a, wrapped up in all this emotional bullshit and made me feel indignant, which, is, um, which isn't helping anybody. So I'm now sitting in the pub, drinking a tonic water. We'll get into that another time. And um, asking my peers... What is projection? Don't use projection when the other person doesn't know what it means. And I'm just and looking back, maybe making a fool of myself. Because what I really should have done is owned up to the fact that I didn't fully understand. Reflected on the fact that I was getting emotionally tied up in it. And thirdly, thinking about whether or not this learned person who's trying to help me actually has something of value to say that I can learn from. And so... I was in a conversation with my current supervisor and we were talking about so I think we're moving into so what by the way and we were talking about what training was like and she had done like a year's training because the course was a master's then and we were talking about the differences between having that extra time stretched out to allow yourself to grow and change versus having to change you know on a pin like that like just Boom, now I'm an EP. I used to be a teacher. She was a math teacher as well. And uh, and I was talking a little bit about how hard I would have found that because of how hard I found the first year. And I was talking a little bit about identity and how hard it was for me to shed this 
identity as a teacher because I was proud of it. Like that armor I was wearing was like my favorite armor. So to take it off and then feel a bit naked and exposed and have to kind of fashion the new EP armor or outfit or whatever you want to say. I'm probably revealing a lot here by referring to it as armor, but whatever. Um, fashion that and then the, that leaves you that time where you're exposed. I felt like, you know, like a crab that's going from shell to shell because it's maybe too big for the old shell. But from that little run down the beach, it's just food. You know what I mean? And I think I was going through a phase where I felt a bit like that. Um, and I think I was feeling that way. I was feeling vulnerable. And therefore, I was feeling defensive. And therefore, I think I was projecting feelings of being lost, being incompetent, um, being a little listless and lonely and sad and isolated and yada yada, all these feelings I was having. I think I was projecting them onto not my peers. I, I think my feeling toward a lot of my peers was just straight up good old fashioned envy. I just felt like, why can't I be like you? You seem to know what you're doing. But with the with educational psychologists, I think there was a definite sense of this role doesn't have enough value because I am feeling like I don't have enough value right now. And, and I think that's that's as textbook projection as when Donald Trump says that Biden's on drugs when he goes into a debate and it makes you dead suspicious that a certain president of, president of the United States maybe has also dabbled in certain uppers and downers to get himself through. Um, is that libelous? I'm saying it. I'm saying it makes you suspicious. I'm not saying anything has happened. Okay? Right. <laughs> so, that's the what, that's the kind of now what aspect of it in terms of um, reflecting back on what those experiences meant using psychodynamics, which for me is pretty brave. And that leaves us with, um, oh sorry, the so what. So that leaves us with the now what, which is, what am I going to do with that? Well, I think one thing is to take stock and be proud because I did grow and change and I am better at this role even with the COVID restrictions and having to kind of invent a new way of doing it. I'm better at this and I'm also really pleased that my true north, which is making people's lives better, is still as clear and obvious, if not more so, than it ever was before, which is awesome. And um, I guess there's a part of me that feels like I owe people an apology. But I don't know that I was ever as explicit that I could I would have to apologize for criticizing them or saying that the rule doesn't make sense or that it's, you know, nonsense or whatever I was feeling and fearing when I was at my worst. But I think a, a thank you might do better than a sorry. Yeah. I think a thank you for guiding me while I was scuttling down the beach from one shell to another and understanding that and sort of letting me thrash about a little bit. I think a thank you would be would be entirely appropriate.
And I think that's my now what. And I think it's also important to remember that the new shell doesn't fit entirely just yet. And that there's a little bit of growth and change still to come. But that's okay. Because it's a journey, isn't it? So, yeah. I suppose getting back to the point of the podcast, the now what is that if you're listening to this and you have gone onto the course or you've only, you know, you've got some good news around it or, or whatever's happening, is to be prepared for the fact that. I know you know this, but you're not invincible. And I know that you're going to nod along and say, yeah, no, I know I'm not invincible, but listen to me, seriously. You're not invincible. And there's going to be hard times ahead and you need to dig in. Because if you do, there's every chance you're going to be a better version of yourself. And that means you're going to be able to serve the people who need you much, much better. I don't think I want to finish on a joke today. I think that's that's a nice enough message to finish on. Um, this has been tap of the iceberg. That was kind of the reflection portion. And I really find it valuable, which means I think I'm going to do this again. Take care of yourselves, okay? Bye.